You are listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. This is Socially Distanced. This is Paxton Wright speaking on the microphone currently uh, with my co-host, as always, the, uh, the lovely and talented Justin Kiever. Hi, I'm the lovely and talented Justin Kiever. This is the first time I've been described as lovely and talented by someone who wasn't my mom. I find that hard to believe, Justin. You know, the, the show's description on the website says uh, the, the homely and slovenly Paxton Wright and the lovely and talented Justin Kiever host. Uh, you should talk to somebody about that. that <laughs> I've, been t- I've been trying to email them and they all get ignored. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I don't know who at KUCI is describing these shows, but uh, one of these days I'll get it resolved. But oh well. Uh, how, how are you doing this week, Justin? It's been two weeks since we've been on the air. What's, what's new in your life in these two weeks? Oh, nothing at all. <laughs> really? <laughs> you don't say. Uh, yeah, the, uh, the world keeps spinning, which I guess is good. Um, yeah, no, really, it's been pretty, it's been pretty light these last few weeks, I guess. I mean, in the way that like, in the way that like life doesn't lend itself to stories now um it kind of it it kind of never does to the extent to a certain extent when you're like working or whatever but yeah i've been sitting at home i've been revising a journal article uh, and i finished that and now i'm back to planning a new media class which is uh, uh fun and uh also a nightmare isn't that well yeah it's something i mean you look for anything you can get in the era of covid as far as as you say nothing lends themselves nothing lends itself to stories anymore um in this uh in this nightmare scape we've currently found ourselves in but you know you craft the stories you can uh, as best you can um as for me i just recently moved uh so that's that's kind of something i i was yeah. out of the home for a while and then my home was empty and now it's not my new home <laughs> so that's that's something that's nice that's uh, a change yes exactly so uh, new, new beginnings for me and that was it was an event uh, i i don't think it's a controversial or remotely bold or unique or what have you take to say that i hate moving Moving's awful. It's a terrible, terrible experience beginning to end. And really, unless you are someone with a lot of money that can hire movers or somebody that is like one of those freak weirdos that enjoys manual labor um, and lots of it, it's just a terrible time. It's just a terrible time. Yeah. Um, how much did you have to move? An embarrassing amount. I'm <laughs> one of those people who I don't... Okay. I feel like I live primarily with my with necessities and you know look ah, bit my tongue there that's unpleasant um, necessities and luxury items that like it, in order to be a happy and fulfilled person everyone needs some luxury items sure I think that's that's perfectly yeah. fair so like I feel like I live comfortably I, I would not call myself a minimalist but I would call myself someone that lives comfortably. And then every time I move, I, I am baffled by the stacks of cardboard Home Depot boxes that I have sitting <laughs> in the living room. And uh, uh, baffled and frankly somewhat embarrassed 
I just like, I'm like, because then, because I had a friend help me move too. I had a friend help me pack up and he's like, why do you own two copies of Hot Fuzz on DVD? Not even Blu-ray, but DVD. Why do you have these? And I'm like, I don't know, but they're staying with me. (laughs) They're not going anywhere. Uh, So uh, that's just kind of what, uh, what my life is. I have... I'm looking right now. I'm looking at an Xbox 360 copy of the Alien vs. Predator game from 2007. That game's an abomination. Was that the one that Gearbox uh, published? I believe it was Gearbox. I don't... Don't quote me Well, on hold that. on, hold on. No, no, no. No, no, no. That, I'm no, thinking that's, of that's Colonial, Colonial Marines. Marines. Okay, no, no, I, no. Okay. I, I at least have enough self-respect to not purchase Colonial Marines. I was about to say, like, yeah, if you were, like, looking for at least, like, one small bit of plastic that you can chuck, like, right now, that could have been it. But no, <laughs> Aliens vs. Predator kind of respectable to be honest or at least like some of those games are pretty good i don't know how the 2007 one is admittedly listen man i i pre-ordered it from gamestop in 2007 because i was naive and young and it was 2007 and pre-ordering seemed like a good idea i think i got some neat xenomorph skins or something out of it though i you know uh, frankly as if you ask me that thing is uh that thing's a valuable commodity it's going nowhere (laughs) Boy, trade that, that back in at a GameStop for like 30 cents. Oh, Wait, yeah. Actually, before we start like riffing on GameStop as though <laughs> it were in fact 2007, uh, does GameStop still exist? Because I know they like tried to stay open when the quarantine was happening because they argued like, they were an essential business. Yeah, because like someone looked at a chart somewhere and was like, our whole thing is that we're still a brick and mortar store. And if we don't have that, we have nothing. But like, is GameStop still around? Is it still alive? Like I, Game Informer, I, I think is getting like, which is like owned by GameStop, whatever, is like getting shuttered now. Like Andy McNamara, who's been like a games journalist for like thirty years, quit, which seems to indicate that Game Informer is like dead. I'm frankly shocked that it wasn't dead already. More so Game Informer than GameStop, but a, a bit of column A, a bit of column B. I mean, Nintendo Power had the dignity and self-respect to, like, in 20, I want to say 13 or 14, they looked at current trends and they were like, yeah, there's no salvaging this. Okay, Nintendo Power's out. They 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 hopped ship. Uh, Game Pro, I think, bailed in, like, the late aughts. And I was a Game Pro kid growing yeah. up. I was I was raised on Game Pro over all the others. And, like, uh, you know, they, they, all, they all hopped ship because there's... There's no saving magazines, especially there's not saving magazines for that, that cover a medium that is predominantly consumed by people who follow the latest digital trends. Like It is a, yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's like, it's kind of a shame, honestly. I mean, I, I think, well, I think the thing that's a shame is that a lot of these uh, like a lot of these paper outlets, so to speak, like those writing jobs are not getting migrated to you know the digital realm they just don't exist anymore and like writing about games has become like more and more difficult i mean yeah it's like you know three four big websites and a lot of like streaming coverage now you know it's sad and like embarrassingly a big reason that i got into grad school is because i realized you could write about games in a university setting and that seemed uh more stable than trying to write about games for the internet so here i am 
and now right. I sit around trying to read philosophy and yeah, that's a uh, man, some transitions happened in the last like four years. Well, listen, we've all made uh, uh, questionable decisions in our past, but it's not to say they can't be reworked into, into fruitful and bright futures. There's uh, that optimism. So <laughs> there, there we go. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think, I think GameStop is technically around. I remember hearing a while back that uh, if I'm not mistaken, uh, I'm going to butcher his last name, so I apologize, but Reggie Fielsame? Fielsame? Uh, I think, I think Fielsame, I want to say. Uh, uh, but I'm not, don't, I don't know, though, to be honest. Yeah, I, who, I don't know. Uh, but he, head of, former head of marketing for Nintendo of America, uh, supposedly, the arguably, the man who, quote-unquote, saved Nintendo. Um, debatable, because he was on before and after the Wii U, but but he was, he was a man who, who certainly did a lot of good for Nintendo and, if nothing else, became a living meme. I believe he hopped aboard um, the marketing team for GameStop recently, if I'm not mistaken. Um, I think he is now involved in GameStop in some way, shape, or form beyond just, like, being a, a shareholder. I think he actually is a legit part of the company's marketing I thought the guy was retiring. So the fact that he's not only retiring and and is involved with this, I, I wonder if they're going to try to rebrand. They already have to some success. I yeah, mean, GameStop they, is more of a toy store now than it is a game store. Yeah, you're actually like getting to exactly what I was going to ask you, which is like, yeah, how, when was the last time you were actually in a GameStop? Because I stopped going and yeah, I was really just kind of blown away by how few games there were at GameStop now. Like the the one uh, the local one in Irvine is mostly T-shirts and Funko Pops, which uh, just an environment I love. I mean, I, I never enjoyed being inside a GameStop at like the best of times, even though I would go to them frequently because, well, I play video games. But man, I really don't like being in a, being in GameStops now. Oh, the last time I went was uh, was in early 2019. Um, I went to go buy Resident Evil 2. I had I had ordered it ahead. It was it was uh, on release day uh, for the Resident Evil 2 remake. And for whatever reason, I decided to. I think I just like it had been like six years since I've been inside a GameStop, and I was like, you know what? I want a physical copy of Resident Evil 2. And I want to get it from GameStop. I want to feel like it's 2009 again. Let's do this. <laughs> and I and so I, I marched my way over there, and I uh, I walked in, <laughs> and I remember uh, immediately walking in and feeling like I've made a mistake already. Uh, and it was <laughs> there was there were no patrons in there. There was two employees, one of whom, as soon as I walked in, I immediately made eye contact with. And he walked into the back. He like immediately left the, the floor and like walked into the back room. And I was like, okay, uh, that just leaves me in one other employee here. All right, that that's fine. It only takes one person to sell me a game. Well, that's okay. Yeah. And so I go up to the counter and I'm like, hey, I pre-ordered Resident Evil 2. I'd like to pick up my copy. And we go through that whole logistical thing. And as he's ringing me up, 
he goes, uh, he goes, by the way, there's still time to pre-order Kingdom Hearts 3, uh, uh, which releases in two weeks. If you want to make a pre-order for that now. And I was like, oh, no, I'm good, man. Thanks. And he's like, he's like, are you sure? He's like, we'll, we'll do it. You got a lot of cool pre-order bonuses. Uh, you know, this is a good time as any to do it. And like, I had never actually even played the original Kingdom Hearts games. I have like no affiliation with the franchise so i'm good and he's like he's like this is as good a time as any to hop in man it's a big cultural event everyone's getting excited for kingdom hearts 3 let's do it please there is a sniper aiming at my skull <laughs> I, I, and could see, I, I could feel the desperation and i was like i was like i was like listen i was like i really would love to but i i hear that those games have a very convoluted story arc and i don't think i could hop in at number three and be able to follow at all what's going on so uh, thanks but no thanks and he just goes all right, and like he, I just see the I just see the life leave his face, and he rings me up, hands me the game, and I'm like, all right, thanks so much, man. Have a good day. And he goes, uh huh, and then walks away. <laughs> and that was the end of the interaction. I was like, I think that might be the last time I ever go to GameStop. I think that like, might be the last thing on the coffin. Oh man. So I mean, in my head, the way that that went was that was his boss that went in the back and just like he like his boss had him like he's like wearing the other dude's like wearing a wire and it's just like i am listening if you do not make this pre-order sale you're fired he's he's got yeah he was wearing one of those uh battle royale shock collars now that i think about it <laughs> uh, oh, God. yeah i mean oh man it was hard i almost wanted to pre-order kingdom hearts 3 for him like if not even for myself i wouldn't have played it but i just uh, i felt oh man i almost wonder like how much like because that became like like that was kind of a whole thing for a while like i remember like uh in the early 2010s where people became very aware of like man i go to gamestop and like the guy wants me to pre-order a lot and, you know, there was this, like, mass recognition that, oh, yeah, it's because their job depends on it. And there's a part of me that wonders, like, does, like, game, like, does any kind of, like, GameStop exec, like, see this and kind of go, okay, well, now we just, we tell them to force it even more because now there's, like, this, like, affective dimension where the, the, the consumer is there and going, like, well... You know, I'm not just making this decision for me. I'm making this decision because I'm aware that this person might lose their job. I mean, probably not because I feel like GameStop mostly existed for, you know, or at least like I think relied on parents showing up and going like, you know, my son wants Call of Duty. And then, uh, you know, and that being it, to be honest, and like right. any kind of like, 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 like trying to have like an enthusiast audience was, you know, necessary, but also probably just kind of like, a given which you know wound up not being the case and that's why GameStop is dead or like or dying I guess I think when they had when there was very little in the way of alternatives back in the days when brick and mortar was it uh it was a business model that was yes still still sinister but it it made sense it was an ultimately lucrative model uh we live in a world where that is absolutely no longer the case and there is a weird, there's a weird uh, refute, what seems to me as an outsider looking in, obviously not being aware of what's going on at GameStop corporate. I don't have uh, an insider perspective on it, but from my perspective, it seems like uh, there is a concerted lack of care in evolving as a brand they are they continue to maintain that image of 
keeping their employees on a very short leash. Like there, there's, they, they don't seem to have any, again, from my perspective, it seems like they don't seem to have any interest in changing their brand. They have come up with a short term fix in that they, as I, as again, as we said, they now are basically a Funko pop store, which is a, you know, a short term fix, but you know, what else is a Funko pop store? Hot Topic, Box Lunch, Target, they're all Funko Pop stores. They're everywhere. Like, it's not enough to save GameStop long-term. Uh, so, I, again, that is why I wonder if bringing Reggie aboard, which, I, I, again, assuming I got that story correct, I know Reggie is involved in GameStop in some way, shape, or form, and that was a story from earlier this year, I want to say, in, like, February. Mm. Um, I do wonder if that's a sign of major overhauls in the future of the company and and a dramatic gear shift we have yet to see but then again even as i say that there is also the story of gamestop uh staying open at least attempting to stay open when this crisis was all beginning this covid crisis uh, arguing that they were an essential business uh, obviously not that was at the beginning when most retailers were closed i think even target was closed at the beginning now like uh, at the beginning of this like almost all retailers were closed and GameStop was refusing to close. So again, there are still moves, public moves made by this company that are like, do you even care about the public trusting or having any good faith in you? Like, does that matter at all? You can't stay afloat if they don't. I guess, are they just, are they aware it's a sinking ship? I'm thinking out loud here, but I I don't know. It's it's bizarre to me. I mean, I, I really do think like the, the thing about the decision to stay open and, you know, like why we're, and I'm just going to state the obvious here, you know, like why we're seeing this kind of continued effort to stay open and like this talk about like schools reopening and blah, blah, blah is, I mean, it's, you know, the economy. So like, I'm pretty confident that, you know, like public interest and public, public image be darned, you know, like you look at a graph and you see like, okay, if we don't stay open for five days, you know, company, you know. Like if, you know, this line meets this line in this way, therefore we stay open and, you know, like we just try and assume that this is going to be a a short thing. I don't know. Like when I think about GameStop now, like I I think about a few things that uh, like there are like these macro level changes that have like always kind of spelled GameStop's doom. And actually pre-ordering is a thing that I was thinking about where there's a certain, like, where pre-ordering was basically how GameStop made, it seemed like that was, like, built into, like, how GameStop made its money was, like, off of pre-orders. And the thing about pre-ordering now, just in terms of, like, not even, like, the economics of it, but just, like, the user experience of pre-ordering a game. So, uh, I don't know. I pre-ordered The Last of Us Part Two technically, insofar as I bought it on, like, the Wednesday before it came out. And then the only reason I did that was to preload the 90 gig download. Right. I did the same with uh, Final Fantasy 15 back when that came out. Yeah. And I think like, yeah. And like, I think there's um, honestly, as games get bigger, there's less incentive to have physical copies of them because it just like becomes an inconvenience and it just like makes more sense as like, it makes more sense as someone who is perhaps interested in, you know, playing a thing, experience a thing, experiencing a thing as soon as possible, that you don't 
go and get a physical copy because it makes a lot more sense to like have this thing download in the like download overnight rather than like get it and then sit around waiting for 12 hours as you know like you download a million gigabytes like there's this sort of like like there's this weird kind of like rupture point where like the average person's internet infrastructure can't keep up with the it can't keep up with the size like just the raw file size of video games but also there's a kind of like culture of like immediate gratification that is just built into our entertainment generally that waiting around for something to download it just doesn't quite work with so that there's like this this weird kind of disconnect between cultural expectation of like of how entertainment works and you know the accessibility of entertainment and also just how like big these things are and how like generally people's you know like data plans can't actually can't deliver these things immediately and like in a weird way it's just like yeah you know digital distribution won because it had to win because because life keeps accelerating and getting discs just doesn't make sense anymore especially as like you know the big games like the games that have always been like privileged in physical media become like more of these like living things you know like something like a call of duty which like has you know like 50 like there's like 50 gigs of data on the disc and now it's like a 200 gigabyte game because that thing keeps changing and i don't know like this is just kind of like a, a very rambly thought about yeah just like distribution is changing and that's changing like what kind of economics are possible and it also reflects on like the way video games as texts are changing and um, I may have mentioned that I'm planning a class on new media, so I've been thinking about this today. <laughs> really, I'm really getting ahead of myself because uh, video games is week five of my class, and I haven't finished planning week one yet. So, um, but week yeah, five is going to be so exciting. But week five is going to be exciting. <laughs> yeah. yeah, GameStop, huh? Game. Oh, how about those Game Stops there, eh? <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, yeah, man. I. I... I don't know. That has been one of the, it's interesting that you mentioned that because I mean, it's not obviously a, a new or hot take to uh, say that, yeah, hey, physical media, especially in the realm of video games uh, is on the outs. Um, it's been basically the subject of our conversation to some extent or not over the last 30 minutes, but uh, it, it has been one of the sad realities of uh, the COVID era, especially for me. Um, mm. far from the saddest, there are ten billion other things to be upset about. But one that is a personal, like oh, kind of thing, is that yeah. I, I have continued to be a consumer and continued to purchase games uh, in this in this era. But I'm not going out to retailers, and if I want the game, I'd like to be able to get it immediately. So I'm not going to order online. Uh, so I have a a collection that I'm proud of, of physical media sitting on my shelf. I, I'm gesturing it to it, but uh, no one in the radio is going <laughs> to know. But I'm gesturing to a shelf uh, with a lot of uh, DVDs and, and uh, games on it. Um, I have become increasingly aware in these last few months, not, not that I was never unaware of how unnecessary physical media was. I was I've known for the last four or five years that it was a... a, a dying thing 
but it was something that I never really thought I would fully, I would fully hop ship from until I had no choice. Until consoles started being made with no disc drive and every GameStop shut down and Target stopped selling games. And I figured I would, I would be a, like a soldier on the, like on the front lines who was, uh, who's, Time was running short, but was going to fight till the bitter end for my physical media. And then these last few months, I've bought all my stuff digitally. Like, I, <laughs> I, I just, because what, why would I, why would I go to the store when it's literally dangerous out there if, if uh, I, I have the option to purchase the stuff at home? COVID or not, if every GameStop in the country was being patrolled by a lion, I would stop buying games. <laughs> like weird analogy, <laughs> but but uh, point still stands. <laughs> but, but, that, that really is a thing they need to bring Reggie in for. Like, how do we oh, get yeah. rid of these lions? <laughs> I know you'd really think someone would have taken care of it by now. It's been a, a business for the last like twenty years, uh, and yet um, that's why that's why we got to bring Babbage's back, man. Uh, no lions at the Babbage's. Uh, you, <laughs> oh man you get the occasional oh, you get the those. occasional gila monster but that's it um <laughs> uh oh, yeah it was a beautiful place oh it sure was eb games man a simpler yeah. time a real going simpler the, time going to the sparrow getting bad oh. pizza oh my god oh looking at game boy games drinking oh, a half melted icy what a <laughs> what a time to be alive yeah, oh, being six ruled <laughs> yeah oh man didn't <laughs> have any money and you couldn't go anywhere <laughs> it was the best oh, man. <laughs> uh all right um oh i guess real quick we were gonna talk about it um we don't really have time but i'd like to acknowledge it very briefly because it's a weird silly thing that uh literally just happened about two hours ago um Barack Obama wants you to donate Bitcoin at this totally not at all suspicious link. Check it out. Um, for those who aren't aware, uh, there was a massive old Twitter hack earlier today. I, again, literally about three or four hours ago. We're recording this on Wednesday, the 15th of July, 2020. And basically uh, a good percentage of blue checked Twitters, uh, verified Twitter accounts, all found themselves the the, the subject of uh, a sweeping Bitcoin scam, which includes uh, Barack Obama, Joe Biden, Bill Gates, Kanye West, wild stuff. And it does remind you of uh, a time when the internet used to be more hilarious. And while this is still dark, and I'm sure there are people who have probably, there are probably a few people who somehow fell for this, and decided to donate a thousand dollars in Bitcoin wait, to Joe Biden. Wait, 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 Paxton. Are you telling me? Are you telling me Barack Obama isn't going to send me two thousand dollars in Bitcoin? J- Justin, we'll we'll talk about this off air. Uh, we oh, we man. we can talk about this during the break. Oh, I, no. I have some troubling news. Um, are you telling me Barack Obama Barack Obama stole money from me? I think Barack Obama, Bill Gates, Kanye—they've all stolen from you, Justin. Oh, I have man. horrible news. <laughs> they Why would they you. do this? I don't know. They're all fairly wealthy people. Last I checked, but uh, but alas, I thought they were going to give back. They're, they're nefarious sons of guns. Those guys. 
<laughs> but yeah, again, despite the, that few percentage of people who may have found themselves on the uh, uh, at the short end of the stick of a huge, huge scam, it, it is mostly a very silly thing that happened. And uh, it reminds me of a time when the internet used to just be kind of silly and not wildly depressing 90% of the time, particularly Twitter. The internet is back, baby. It's good again. Uh, <laughs> oh, 20, 2020 is going to be the year of the internet. I can feel it. I've been yeah. saying it for years. <laughs> I mean, it really, I mean, I think that's like, like the serious take on this Bitcoin thing for that I have, I guess, is like, yeah, no, it's, you know, the internet is becoming more and more institutionalized and like more and more we are expected to migrate our lives into the digital realm. And in a kind of a weird way, it's nice to remember that all of this can be broken. Yeah. You know? But just a, it's just a, a few a few disgruntled people who know what they're doing with a keyboard and, and know what a Siski is. I don't know what a Siski is, but I know the hackers like it. Uh, <laughs> uh, we, I think uh, with, if there's nothing else we want to cover, we will take a short break and be back in a few. Sound good? Yeah, sounds good. All right. See you soon, folks. This is KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. You're listening to Socially Distanced. I am one of your co-hosts. I am Justin Kiever. And with me is... Uh, Paxton Wright, who uh, is the other co-host. And that's really all there is to add to that. We are halfway into the show, if you're just tuning in. And isn't that exciting? I don't know where I'm going with this. Uh, so I don't know where you're going with this either. <laughs> yeah, I, feel free to cut me off at any time. Um, I thought I had a, a plan of attack for this series of sentences, and I didn't, and I still don't, and now I'm too scared to stop talking. So I'm going to stop talking <laughs> in three, two, one, done. <laughs> There's like a lovely kind of just like... I don't know, like a back and forth rhythm to the way you're trying to like, you know, it's like you're like wavering on like skis or something and like trying to find your balance as you're going through that. It was amazing. Um, <laughs> I've been doing yeah. this for over a year, podcasting and radio and whatnot. And I, I, I not that's I'm far from an expert or a professional, but I'm getting better. And uh, <laughs> boy, do I still find myself in verbal trappings like that uh, more often than I'd like to. But, I mean, I, I do that in casual conversation when I don't have to perform for an audience, so I'm not judging. <laughs> um, but yeah, so uh, this is the half of the show where we just kind of like talk about, you know, what media thing we've been exposing ourselves to while we've been trying to not expose ourselves to viruses. 
So anyway, so I actually got inspired by, as I mentioned at the top of the show, I've been planning a class, which has basically been like my frame for everything I've been doing uh, in the last couple of weeks. And uh, in the midst of that, I happened across a, a New Yorker article that was about Starship Troopers. So I rewatched Starship Troopers, which is a, a very good film that is pretending to be a very bad film. And for anyone who hasn't seen it, it came out in 1997 originally. It's directed by uh, genre master uh, Paul Verhoeven. And it's a film about that, that takes place on Earth in the 23rd century in which basically humans go to war with a species of bugs. And the film is about that war. And it's based on a novel by uh, Robert Heinlein. And it's a military sci-fi novel. It's like one of like the kind of like big uh, military sci-fi novels. And basically the film, which came out about three years after the novel, is a relatively subtle, I mean, in some ways it's very much not subtle, but it's a relatively subtle send up of that novel. And it, it takes basically a very fascist premise and then skewers that premise for its fascist undertones. So it's a film that basically, it's a film that starts in a high school that is basically following a few characters uh, who are just these kind of like, you know, doughy eyed uh, high school students. And it, it, it basically, it's a story about them going to war and about them experiencing the kind of the thrills and traumas of war in a way that makes them better soldiers uh and actually before we dive into this paxton uh, you uh, before we started recording you had mentioned you had seen starship troopers but it's been a few years right uh it's been it's been like roughly a decade i i watched it back in i want to say seventh or eighth grade for the first time and at the time any of the uh, subtleties or uh, just general themes of the film were completely lost on me. I was not aware it was a satire at the time because uh, I was uh, 14 years old. And I remember thinking it was a loud, dumb 90s action movie with Doogie Howser in it. And yeah. not not knowing much beyond that, it was it was at the same, and so I wasn't even aware it was trying to be like intentionally hokey and intentionally bad. I just thought it was kind of cornball in the same way that like when you're a kid and you first hear about the movie Killer Clowns from Outer Space, you think that sounds like the dumbest thing imaginable, and then you realize Killer Clowns from Outer Space is a brilliant work of art and everyone should watch it uh, because <laughs> it is. It, very tongue-in-cheek in what it's trying to do neither here nor there but the point is uh i i remember yeah any any uh subtlety of starship was being completely lost on me and then years later uh well into high school and college seeing think pieces about starship troopers and seeing hour-long video essays about starship troopers and people picking apart the meaning of starship troopers and about how it it ties into uh, the military industrial complex and as you said fascism and and all these different pertinent elements and my my relationship to the film being so minimal and so blurry uh, that all of that is very lost on me uh, but I, I don't doubt it but I just know so little so um so the the way that I would kind of summarize it is 
it's a film about war and you mentioned the inclusion of Doogie, ha- of Doogie Hauser of Neil Patrick Harris and the thing the big moment where the film kind of says anyway this is what we're doing is uh about basically with about 30 minutes left in the movie it's like a two-hour movie uh Neil Patrick Harris shows up in just like full SS like Nazi garb pretty much like he shows up wearing like this like you know, like black leather trench coat like looking like yeah just like a Nazi SS officer and that is sort of like the moment that I think you're really meant to go oh this is a fascist society I once heard it described very well that what the film is is it is a film that a fascist society would make about itself so walk walk me through because again it's been a while and the plot is a little blurry in what way is the is the earth of this film um fascist like what what does that mean exactly because i don't really remember the plot beats very well it's fascist insofar as it is it is a military society that that is fully invested in robbing the individual of individuality and and basically uh refiguring the individual as part of a larger body politic that is uh, that defines itself completely through its uh basically through uh, its hatred of the other and through its military you know supposed military might and the film actually opens with a really alarm like it opens in a like high school like history classroom basically and what the teacher is saying pretty much lays out the feet like kind of what this society is and it's really really easy to not pay attention to what uh, he's saying but he's basically laying out like oh okay these are bad guys which because he's basically he lays out this like history of earth where in like the year 2300 there's this like massive military coup and now to become a citizen as opposed to merely a civilian to become a citizen of the world you have to uh, you have to engage in mandatory military service, and he says, you know, he asks, why do you have to do that, and you know, why do you have to become a citizen? Well, to become a citizen, when you become a citizen, you earn the right to vote. You earn the right to vote through military service, and he frames the right to vote as basically an exercise of power. Like when you are voting, you are doing the same thing as firing a gun. You are exercising, you're exercising a certain amount of power. In order to be able to do that, you need to internalize this military logic that dominates the society. So he basically lays all of that out very, like really, really quickly in the beginning. And really like what the scene wants to like distract you with is we're being introduced to our main character who's just sitting kind of like you know bored in the classroom doodling like a picture of his girlfriend or something and i that's sort of like what the film ends up doing is that it structures this kind of like this very generic romance and like war story on top of this kind of like societal structure that the genre fair is distracting us from the whole way, but like that societal structure, which is this like, you know, militaristic society is always there and is like always undergirding all of like the genre fair that's on top of it. And basically, yeah, like what Starship Troopers ends up doing is that like it takes this sort of like genre structure and then filters it through this kind of like militaristic logic so like there's a moment um like there's a moment like about halfway through the film where you know like basically the bugs attack uh it's worth mentioning that the bugs attack earth because earth like settled in bug space so like earth invaded first technically and then they invaded back 
uh, something that is pretty much uh, that none of the characters really acknowledge because why would they? And then, uh, you know, like all our heroes go to war and they all like, you know, they do like this kind of like training thing and they all like go to different branches of the military and then they come back together. There's a fight scene and there's like a fight because like some of the, like some of these characters don't get along. And then like, like there's a very kind of like personal reason these two people are fighting, like they're fighting over a girl or whatever. And then one of the characters after this fight happens, uh, one of the characters just says, you know, like a, like mobile infantry and the Navy don't mix. And it's like, well, that's not, that's not what is happening here. Like what is happening is not this kind of like factional argument. It's this very personal kind of argument that's like, you know, become a brawl. But what the, like, what the mechanics of the plot are is the incorporation of any kind of like individual, like psychic, like psychological motivation being overwritten by a military logic. So like the, so like the payoff of the film is, you know, some more stuff happens. Uh, that history teacher actually appears later as a commander. At one point, that command, that history teacher says to his troops, including one of the main characters, you know, come on, you apes, do you want to live forever? And then, like, you know, they, a fight scene happens, the commander dies. And then, like, one of the last things that you see is, you know, our hero, Johnny Rico, bright-eyed football star, you know, uh, originally didn't want to go into the military, leading like a new group of troops, yelling at them, come on, come on, you apes, do you want to live forever? And basically that transformation, which is like framed by the film as this like big heroic transformation, like we're supposed to be able to like look at the, basically we're supposed to be able to pick out like the Nazi iconography, like Neil Patrick Harris showing up as an SS officer, the fact that the flag of the society is the Nazi flag, but with the colors changed. And right. I forgot about that. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and basically just kind of like, like pick out and like, you know, realize like, Oh, okay. Yeah. Like this is a society where to vote, you have to join the military and, and basically recognize that, that we are watching someone be transformed. We are watching the society. We're watching what the society does to people. And we're also supposed to recognize that, See, the other thing is that, that the film itself is actually framed by this sort of like this series of like internet videos where, you know, you'll like see like this little like clip of like, you know, I'm like, uh, of, like I'm a doing military my recruitment part. video. Yeah, like a military right. recruitment video says like, I'm doing my part. And then, you know, do you want to know more? And then eventually one of the like, do you want to know more uh, prompts just takes you to the film. And so we're, we're watching something that is presenting itself very reflexively as a propaganda piece and witnessing the society transform someone into its like most perfect kind of citizen, which is this like, which is a military officer who is completely internalized his like, you know, his uh, existence as being ultimately completely subservient to a military state. And the movie acts as basically a, a in in that it is sort of this bombastic, hokey, melodramatic uh, sci-fi war story. It is essentially what you're saying it is it is mirroring to the audience what the uh, Earth government in the film is doing to its citizens. In that it is numbing you and brainwashing you, and essentially allowing you to justify the weird fascistic imagery and the uh the disturbing truths uh, of what this society is doing through the glitz and excitement uh, and and romanticization of war basically yeah exactly so the um 
so there's this quote from, I think, uh, Francois Truffaut that's uh, tossed around sometimes. There's no such thing as an anti-war film, which um, is basically, you know, like you can make a film about war and you can make it as like horrifying as you want it, as you think war ought to be represented. But no matter what, there is still someone who will watch that and go, war is amazing. Heck yeah. And yeah, like the, the thing about Starship Troopers is that it's like the violence is horrific, but it's also kind of exhilarating due to how horrific it is. And it leans into that exhilaration and it leans into the fact that like, it, it, it posits rather that representing war is kind of like always selling it. Because there's this like exhilaration to represented bloodshed where like, it's exciting when it's not happening to you. And it's like only in the moment where like war violence is happening around you and being done to you and you're like seeing it there immediately. That is the only moment where like that horror is really there. And otherwise it's just kind of like a flight of fancy and exhilaration. So in the choice to not try and like make the violence awful, but make it exhilarating, it's essentially performing its function as a propaganda piece while trying to, well, making, instead of making the violence distasteful, it's making it exciting while trying to basically give, like, give the signals that, like, oh, okay, this is operating within a paradigm of war representation that I ought to be more critical of when I see it in other contexts. Like, it's, it's not trying to be a Saving Private Ryan. It's trying to represent how something like Saving Private Ryan is ultimately a pro-war film. Right. Or, like, you know, can be kind of, like you know, reoriented to being a pro-war film or like a pro-military film. Oh, it's so easy to to consume war films in that. I, I haven't heard that quote before, but I mean, even even something like Apocalypse Now, which just makes the Vietnam War look like the most horrific, miserable experience imaginable, which it was, it is still an exciting and gorgeous film that you do still occasionally kind of get lost in its aesthetics and in that, and you do kind of forget exactly what you're seeing. Yeah. And same with Saving Private Ryan and Platoon and all the others. Yeah. Yeah. I think Apocalypse Now almost gets away with it just because Apocalypse Now is like also like leaning into this sort of like dreamlike thing where like the war itself and like the violence becomes this kind of like, like it has this like metaphorical valence that something like a Saving Private Ryan doesn't really have. But anyway, but it, it yeah, feels exactly. dissociated yeah. from reality. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, but otherwise, I think you're pretty much on the money. But anyway, that, I mean, that Starship Troopers. Uh, it's still relevant because it's a representation of a of a society that is based on hate. And does that remind you of America? Uh, no. <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> we're a great country we're, we're, do, we're doing just fine um, uh, but anyway um of course. that's that what have you been what, what have you been doing paxton yeah uh so i have been uh doing something that i think is a lot less um thematically pertinent um and i can't give quite as uh eloquent a reading to as as uh as you did with starship troopers but I've still had a whole mess of fun with it. And that's uh, for the last few weeks, I have been, uh, I, I mentioned it, I think briefly, briefly on last week's show or two weeks ago shows. And I think the week before that, I might've even talked about it too. Um, but I've been way into uh, Dead by Daylight, which is for those unfamiliar, a, it is a 
game by Behavior Interactive, which is a Canadian company, and it is an asymmetrical multiplayer game. It's been around for about four years. It started as a really small indie project and kind of blossomed and blew up into this now uh, like like titan of the of of multiplayer. Um, it is now a huge, especially recently, for whatever reason, the last, uh, during COVID, it seems to have really kind of uh, gotten even bigger than it already was. But the way the game essentially works is it is a, like, it is an homage to slasher films and horror of, uh, of all kinds. Um, and uh, essentially the game, if, if you want to just boil it down real simplistically, you have four players, each of whom is playing a survivor, uh, quote unquote, uh, who is a one of a few different characters, each of whom have their own stats and perks and unique abilities, etc. And you are being chased by another player who is playing as a killer, um, who's playing as a, a, a some kind of murderer or creature or ghost or something who is actively trying to impede the four survivors progress uh Mm. and as any asymmetrical game works uh there is a balance in the killers versus the survivors the killer is inherently more overpowered than the survivors uh but the survivors also if you're strategic and smart and skilled your efforts at escaping the map are much more uh, plausible. Basically, the way it works is every game, every map is procedurally generated. Um, mm. There are a series of different maps in the game uh, that have the same assets in them, but where those assets are going to spawn is anyone's guess. Uh, it's procedurally generated. You, you know what that means. Um, yeah. So, and, and on every map, there are a number of generators, which are just sort of these big hulking metal generators. Uh, and uh, the players need to activate five of them. Once the five generators are activated, uh, that'll lead way to two randomly spawned gates on the map being able to be opened. Uh, at mm. that point, the players need to make their ways to that gate, open the gate, and escape. Uh, all the while, there is one killer, again, on the map who is actively looking for these players and trying to do what killers do, uh, kill, and trying to make that not happen. And it is just, it is such a simple gameplay loop. There, it, it, You're doing the same thing every time. Start the, five, start the five generators, try not to die and get off the map. Or if you're playing killer, uh, try to make the players, the, the survivors not start the five generators, kill them, and then make sure they don't get off the map. Uh, mm-hmm. it's, it's a really simple loop. And yet it is... it it scratches such an itch there's something about i've never been much into multiplayer games uh growing Mm -hmm. up i played a little bit of halo online i played a little call of duty but multiplayer was just never really something that stuck with me for whatever reason the communal aspect of it just it didn't do it for me i've always been far more inclined uh, toward um, split screen and fighting games, anything I can play, like couch co-op. I've always been more of a couch co-op person and online multiplayer has just never done it for me. I don't know what it is about asymmetrical multiplayer, but this game and the Friday the 13th game they made a few years ago, which is a a similar type of game, have 
they just sunk their claws into me. And I, I, I don't know exactly what it is, but it is, it is, a, it is just so much fun. And there, it is also, what's really cool about it is that it has become essentially the smash ultimate of horror. Uh, basically it started as when it was an indie game four years ago, it was, it started as there were three types of killers. Again, the killers all have their own unique perks too, I should clarify. You had the trapper who was basically a Jason Voorhees knockoff who planted traps around the map. You had mm. the hillbilly who was the, the Leatherface knockoff who had a chainsaw. Mm. And then you had the Wraith who's just kind of a, a, a ghost man who can turn invisible. Um, and those are sort of their three unique perks. Uh, and then as the game got bigger, they created more uh, uh, unique killers. Like they made uh, the hag, who is essentially kind of the Blair Witch. She's just sort of this uh, creepy witch lady who can um, teleport around the map. Mm -hmm. That's her unique ability. And then after that sort of gained some traction, they got the rights to the Halloween license. And then they added Michael Myers a as a killer and Laurie Strode as a survivor, um, Jimmy Lee oh, Curtis's wow. character. And they have their own unique perks too. I'm actually a Michael Myers man, to, to, <laughs> if, if you're interested. And then over time, they ended up adding Leatherface. They, they added Ghostface from the Scream franchise. Um, they added the Demogorgon from Stranger Things. So I forget her name. I have no real connection to the Saw franchise. But the lady who wears the pig mask in Saw, she, she's in it. Um, who else do they have? They have, oh, they just added Pyramid Head from Silent Hill like a few oh, weeks ago. Yeah, they just, like, he's a brand new character. All right, I'm in. Oh, at Pyramid Head, Heather Mason from Silent Hill 3. You can play in Midwich oh. Elementary from Silent Hill 1. It is a, yeah, it's an incredible, it's an incredible uh, uh, pack that they've served up. Um, and then all the while, they continue to add their own unique characters too, who are all really interesting and have their own unique uh, perks and abilities. Uh, Freddy Krueger's in there. It's the it's the um, Jackie Earl Haley Freddy Krueger from the remake. I guess they couldn't get the rights to Robert England, but it's still it's Freddy. He does the thing. He has the glove. Uh, but yeah, the game has just been. I, I've been so so hooked on it lately, and I, I I don't know. I think one of the things I like about it is I'm a social person. I enjoy talking. Hence why I'm on talk radio. But I think multiplayer, I don't concentrate very well when I'm having to carry on a conversation and get in arguments with 12-year-old boys uh, living in Idaho. Uh, and I, I, can't, I can't pay attention to what I'm doing. I think one of the things I really like about asymmetrical multiplayer is while there is a community in Dead by Daylight, it is a very toxic community. Uh, people are not nice in that game, and it's just all the more fun. But you can't really communicate during the game. You have like visual tells. There are like like uh, commands you can make your survivor do to communicate like, hey, go there or hey, follow me or something. But you can't speak over the mic. There's no, there's no vocal communication. So like, I think the developer has, they coined it as like the antisocial online game basically. Okay. So you still are- Sounds awesome. Yeah, it's great. You're playing online. And afterwards, you're having people tell you that you suck and should jump off a bridge uh, because you killed them or whatever. Like, you still have, you still get the trash talking at the end. But during the game, you get to focus and, and enjoy it. And you also get that fun experience of still playing with humans who are always going to be more unpredictable than a computer. It's yeah, that, 
that that sounds nice like that like having to talk to people while playing a thing is pretty consistently the worst yeah i mean like talking to people you don't know while playing a thing is just terrible yeah uh yeah that sounds uh that sounds pretty cool um I'm, I'm always down for a good like asymmetrical multiplayer thing because i feel like those are like like there's something about the unevenness that like just lends itself to a kind of I don't know, like, like, like an experience beyond the kind of like raw win-lose sort of dynamic of a lot of multiplayer games. So that sounds pretty awesome. Yeah, it, it's, been, it's been just a great experience. And, and you do, and there are just so many memorable moments. I, I have taken to this game like it is a sport. Like I am embarrassingly, like I am watching like stat breakdowns on YouTube. I am watching people, I'm watching YouTube videos of people who have just made their lives like pick, dissecting this game and like telling you, all right, you want to get to level one. You want to get to the red ranks as they call it. It's like, uh, it's like, all right, these are, these are three tips that if you're ever playing Survivor, you never do these things, blah, blah. Like just watching, watching that kind of content feverishly, trying to get up to those red ranks. I just, I gotta I got do it, I gotta know. But it, it, is, it is wonderful because you still, it is this game where again, because you're playing with people, uh, it is still so unpredictable and you still have some, some moments where you lose your mind of like, oh, I never saw that coming. You know, like, yeah, it's, uh, it's just, I don't know, I'm going in circles vo- verbally at this point. It's just very exciting. It, it, it does what you need it to do in that you kind of get the vague social and unpredictable nature of an online game, but you don't have to deal with the pressure and distracting nature of voice chat. It's just, it's a beautiful, beautiful symbiosis of, of, a, of, a, of an experience. Also, it's fun, which is nice. Games should that be fun. Nice. It is good. Yeah. Fun games are nice. <laughs> there, there's some unfun games that I actually like quite a bit. But anyway, that's a different conversation. Anyway, I think Fair we point. might need to go ahead and uh, wrap up. Yeah, I think uh, that about does it for us this week. Um, but uh, as always, you know, stay safe out there. Uh, the virus has gotten worse. Well, it's still the same virus, but people are just being uh, more apathetic about doing anything about it. Or, or trying to trying to slow the spread. Don't be one of those people. Don't be apathetic. If you can stay home, do it. If you have to leave, wear a mask 100% of the time. Uh, don't be dumb. Just don't yeah. be dumb. That's, that's yeah. the best advice I can give. Yeah, wear the mask. Care about your fellow man. Uh, that's, some, that's some commie BS you're talking over there, Justin. <laughs> I don't need to care about my fellow man. I'm out for A number one. I'm a lone wolf. <laughs> All right. Take care, everybody. Yeah, take care.